coming up on Harvard Chan this week in health, a new approach to fighting malaria. We'd allow the mosquitoes to land on surfaces and then immediately after that we'd provide them with an infectious blood meal. So this is human blood that has contains malaria parasites that are infectious to mosquitoes. And what we found is that in our untreated control groups we would find a very good infection, lots of parasites growing on the guts, and then in the Etovacone treated group we would find zero infection at all. Progress against malaria has stalled as mosquitoes grow resistant to commonly used insecticides. So scientists are exploring a new approach, directly targeting the parasite that causes malaria. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. Each year, more than 200 million people around the world are infected with malaria, and more than 400,000 die. For the past two decades, the most successful method of malaria prevention has involved treating bed nets with long-lasting insecticides that kill mosquitoes. It's estimated that such bed nets are responsible for 68% of all malaria cases averted since 2000. But that progress is being threatened, as mosquitoes increasingly grow resistant to the most commonly used insecticides. Now, new Harvard Chan School research offers a potential fresh approach to combating malaria directly target the parasite responsible for the disease. A recent study showed that mosquitoes that landed on surfaces coated with the anti-malarial compound atovaquone were completely blocked from developing Plasmodium falciparum, the parasite that causes malaria. The study was led by Flaminia Cataruccia, professor of immunology and infectious diseases here at the Harvard Chan School, and Doug Payton, a research fellow at the school. I recently had the chance to sit down with Payton to discuss the findings and how they could be used to make progress in the fight against malaria. Take a listen. Where did this idea of targeting the malaria parasite itself come from? And is this something that, that any researchers ha had looked at before? I've been working on some, some compounds that we discovered had sterilizing um, effects on the mosquito. And our original plan, and we've always been a re reproductive lab, we work on mosquito reproduction primarily. Um, and I've been working on ways to sterilize mosquitoes through contact with us with a surface in the same way that the insecticides work so um, and as a, a kind of side to that we do infectious experiments here we're able to infect mosquitoes with malaria and um, and because we had those facilities I tested these compounds um, against a malaria infection and found that it actually reduced malaria infection as well which was a really unexpected result and that got uh, Flaminia my PI and, and I thinking about like that effect on its own. So we had all these different effects with the sterilizing and the reduction in the infection, and we were working with the modelers that came out and showed that both of those effects would be effective at controlling uh, mosquito populations and malaria transmission. And we got thinking about this sort of single effect of of, of curing mosquitoes or preventing infections in mosquitoes. And, um, and we thought about this for some time, and I did some digging in the literature and s just to see what w w was going on there, and picked a couple of compounds and just tried tried to see what would happen there and, and it turned out actually what we just as a proof of concept it worked extraordinarily well and then we just kind of ran with it from there and, and so so for this study and i might pronounce this wrong so feel free to correct me you coded a service in this anti-malaria called atovaquone which is it's an active ingredient in medication that's commonly used in humans to prevent and treat malaria so was there a particular reason that, that you chose to use atovaquone was there something about this that stuck out so when I was doing uh, this kind of literature search, really what stuck out about tovoquone is a couple of things. One is it's actually really not a very good drug. It's very, very lipid-bound. Um, it's extraordinarily insoluble in water and very soluble in lipids. So when you take malarone, which is the tovoquone-containing 
anti-malarial medication, you have to take it with a fatty meal or it doesn't work because your body's so bad at absorbing it. Now, mosquitoes are coated in an exterior layer of, of, of lipids and waxes, basically, which protect them from water loss. Um, and so we really thought that maybe those, those qualities that make a tovocorn a bad human therapeutic, although it's extraordinarily effective, would sort of facilitate its traversal of the insect cuticle to, and then and then allow it to, to concentrate within the the internal compartments of the mosquito and as it as it happened that turned out to be a correct assumption. What, what, what makes it bad for humans makes it really good for mosquitoes. That that seems to be the case. Yes. So we're um, hoping to kind of uh, follow up on that and start looking for more compounds that have those kind of qualities and, and see if they also work. So. Interesting. And so, and so what happened in your research when mosquitoes did land on these, these coated surfaces? So what we were doing, we did, we'd allow the mosquitoes to land on surfaces. Um, and then immediately after that, we'd provide them with an infectious blood meal. So this is human blood that has contains malaria parasites that are infectious to mosquitoes. Um, and they typically take anywhere from from ten days to to two weeks to develop within the mosquito and become and then the mosquito becomes infectious and will transfer that to another human being. Um, and so um, after infecting those mosquitoes, I would leave them for a week and then um, come back to them and dissect out their their guts to look for the presence of growing parasites on the on the on the exter- ex- external surface of the midgut. Um, and what we found is that in our untreated control groups, we would find a very good infection, lots of parasites growing on the guts. And then in the Atovacone treated group, we would find zero infection at all. So we were using um, fairly low doses of, of Atovacone and only very short periods of, uh, of contact, six minutes of contact. Um, and that seemed to be sufficient to completely obliterate any kind of infection in those mosquitoes after, um, after really only a short period of contact. So that was very exciting. So that's interesting. So they didn't necessarily have to be exposed to this compound for a long time. It was very transient contact. So we, uh, the exposure itself is a, it's a small glass Petri dish mm-hmm. um, with a, a lid on top, basically. And the mosquitoes are placed in there and they're bouncing around. They're flying. They don't, you know, they're, they're very rarely um, immobile. They, they, they really do move around a lot. So their real contact time is, is very, very brief indeed. Somewhere probably in the, in the seconds to minutes rather than the full six minutes. So their contact is very, very short, and it, it, but it was still sufficient to, to get enough um, atovacone into their internal compartments. And that's partly because atovacone is good at penetrating the cuticle and partly because it's effective at extremely low doses as well. And so those, those two qualities make it kind of ideal for this approach. And so I think what's interesting here too is so the mosquito lands on it, it can essentially block the development of this parasite, but it doesn't it doesn't kill the mosquito itself. And so is what's the benefit of that of not killing the mosquito? Killing mosquitoes is actually quite difficult. In a, in, in there are many hundreds of insecticides out there. Um, with different modes of action and different um, different potencies, but there are only two or three that are safe enough to be used on a bed net. Now, bed nets are the primary delivery method for insecticides for anti-malarial purposes, and the people that sleep under bed nets are almost always children under the age of five and pregnant women, and these are very vulnerable um, members of the population. And so the compounds that they come into contact with have to be extraordinarily safe. And so almost all insecticides are neurotoxic and they have some effects on humans. Um, and so finding compounds that are good at killing mosquitoes that are not harmful to humans is actually very, very challenging. Um, it is a very effective approach for controlling, controlling malaria transmission. And so in this case, we were looking for, we, this is more of an alternative approach in the absence of an effective insecticide, mm. which, um, 
And so um, if we are, if the primary goal of the of the compound is not to, to is to kill the parasite and not the mosquito, it makes more sense for there to be no insecticidal effect because if there is, then the mosquito will develop resistance to that effect as well. Um, and in this case, to maintain efficacy over a longer period, you want to avoid that. Um, possibly using those compounds in combination with an insecticide as well with two different modes of action for increased efficacy. And so you touched on resistance there and part of this challenge of like you said it is so difficult to kill mosquitoes. I mean is that I mean malaria has kind of proven to be this really kind of like lingering difficult to address global health problem so I mean what are some of the biggest barriers to addressing malaria? Is resistance kind of number one? Yeah I would say resistance in the in mosquito is probably the arguably the uh, the largest public health challenge when it comes to, to malaria at the moment. So since 2000, when, when, when nets treated with insecticides really began to be start being distributed, they've contributed to something like a 68% reduction in, in malaria over that period. But also at that time, you start seeing very potent and widespread resistance spreading through all of the major human human malaria vectors within particularly in Africa but also in the other tropical ranges Southeast Asia and South America um, and over that time not only it, so you initially start seeing some resistance a little um, reduced potency and now in certain areas of West Africa in particular these mosquitoes are completely resistant to, to insecticides even at five times the doses that are commonly used on, on nets they're incredibly resistant and that's partly because the insecticides themselves there's a single monotherapy so there's no combinationary effect and it's actually relatively resistance can evolve r relatively rapidly but also these compounds are used in agriculture in the same areas and so you get this kind of total environmental challenge throughout their whole period life life stage all of their life stages sorry which will then like massively increase the amount of resistance that's present in the in the population and so what we see now, I was in I was in Burkina Faso in September, working with mosquitoes that we were bringing in from rice paddies and, and villages out there, and they're insanely resistant to to insecticides, and it's it's a massive problem. And so, because atovaquone targets the parasite essentially, like, is there any danger of resistance there, or is because it's a different kind of mechanism that it's not as big of a risk? I mean, it's definitely an issue, and it's certainly one that we can't ignore. Um, but there are a couple of um, encouraging um, factors to do with targeting the, the malaria parasite in mosquitoes, particularly when um, in humans there's typically something like 10 to the 14 parasites in an infected human being, so an enormous number of parasites. Um, and so the just just through sheer stochastic effects and, and just population size, the likelihood of resistance ar arising in a single human that's being treated with a single drug is much, much higher than in a mosquito where typically you're, uh, particularly where we're targeting the parasite, which is in the early stages of infection, there's anywhere between one and a hundred parasites. And so the probability of resistance arriving, arising at random or selecting for a particular resistance parasite, uh, resistance mutation, sorry, is, is much, much lower. Although the number of mosquitoes is much, much larger. So there's, there's some, uh, so we're actually working with some modelers at the moment to try and work out because we do get asked this question a lot. And um, at the moment, obviously, we the, the, the initial paper was more of a proof of concept, and we are going to be working a lot more on resistance. Um, but really, the the it's definitely a problem, and particularly because our initial findings were with a human therapeutic, there are some concerns about resistance arising to that compound because it is used in, in, in prophylaxis, particularly for travelers. So um, two of our ongoing goals are to find alternative compounds. And I think if we were going to deploy this in a, f in a field 
like on a net, for example, then we would probably use combinations um, in the same way that most drugs are now applied as combinations just to, to prevent, to reduce the probability of resistance arising. So you just touched on there about like actually putting this out in the field. Like you said, you know, this was kind of like an initial proof of concept step. But like if down the line, you know, we you wanted to test a tovaquone like on a bed net, how would that work? Would the bed nets basically be shipped with this compound on it? Would like a field worker have to go and slather this this compound on? How would that work? Well, it's a, it's a good question. So we actually... Um We've, we've started, since the paper came out, we come, uh, we've been approached by a couple of different uh, bed net manufacturers ab- about prototyping. And so typically, um, there are kind of two kinds of bed net available at the moment. One is an insecticide treated net, which is basically a normal polyester or polyethylene net that's been dipped in a solution and allowed to dry. So it's coated. Uh, and those are those are effective. They're kind of first generation nets. And that was like the... Um, um, the kind of nets you saw up till 2010, and they don't last very long, and they and they lose their efficacy over time very quickly. Um, and since 2010, the WHO has been rolling out a new kind of net, which is a, a long-lasting insecticide impregnated net, which is where the through I actually I believe these are proprietary methods. Most most of this is done in in industry. Um, the active compounds are, are combined with the plastic in pellets and then extruded into the net. So it's actually impregnated directly into the net. And those nets last anywhere up to five or six years and can resist washing up to 20 times. And so I think typically for, and that's really the kind of direction that the, the, the public health is going in in terms of, in terms of um, net design. And so for this kind of approach, and maybe in the initial prototyping stages, we'll be dipping because it's going to be low scale and we'll probably be doing if we were to take this to field initially, we would be doing experimental huts, which are like fake houses where we're in a, in a kind of grid pattern where we, we treat some and we don't treat others. And then we have various outputs for our trialing. So that would probably be with dip, dip nets. But if we were going to scale this up to a, like a, a effectively a clinical trial, then, then we'd need to partner with industry and really start developing this on a large scale, hundreds of nets. And so that would almost certainly be in an impregnated fashion. And so whether that's with a total corner or not, it's still a matter of that's actually currently being, we're, we're working on that with, with various stakeholders, but we're also looking for new compounds and, and the hope would be we'll find one or two and we'll be able to really push this forward. So. And you mentioned that you've kind of done some some modeling of this approach. So like, I mean, what is the potential impact here? Like if, if, if you get to this point where you're prototyping, you know, it becomes maybe more widespread, what could the potential impact of this approach be? So when we did model this, and this was with, uh, um, some collaborators we have here at the School of Public Health, Caroline Bucky, and, one of, uh, and, a, and, a, and a long-term collaborator of ours that's now at Virginia Tech, Lauren Childs. Um, what we found was this kind of intervention, and we always we modeled it in a in a hypothetical intervention where we had an insecticide-treated net combining, uh, also combining an atovaquone-like compound. And so this is a net that will kill an insecticide-susceptible mosquito, but cure any mosquito that is not killed by that net. And so what we saw was in areas where there's 100% susceptibility to insecticides, the addition of atovaquone had no effect, which is what we'd expect. And in fact, it's not really the case anywhere in Africa now. I don't believe there are any really susceptible populations left in Africa, completely susceptible. and then what was really exciting during the modeling is what we saw is as, as insecticide resistance increased, the relative contribution of a tovacone or an atovacone-like compound to reducing malaria transmission became more and, and, and much more of the, uh, like, became more prominent. And so, and, and so what that really looks like, and this is, this is in much more detail in the model, uh, in, sorry, in the paper, is, um, is that you almost associate 
dissociate the effectiveness of your net from insecticide resistance. So in a normal circumstance, you see insecticide resistance completely removing the, the efficacy of nets for killing mosquitoes. Um, uh, very, very low levels of insecticide resistance. And with the addition of something like a tovocone, you see those nets remaining effective, even in extreme cases of insecticide resistance. And so that's where we think this is going to be the most useful. In those very hot spot areas of malaria transmission, where there's very high resistance um, and very intense malaria transmission, um, this may really just put us back on the front foot. And, and then this would be combined with, with mass drug administration or other, other human targeting therapies. And, uh, and, and it we feel like it would really fit into that kind of multimodal anti-malarial approach that's this really the kind of thing that's being uh, being increasingly uh, proposed for f to interrupt transmission in these very intense malaria transmission areas so yeah and I, I was going to ask because it's it sounds like what you're saying is that this needs to be kind of it's not just a a broad use kind of the net alone is the solution but the net in conjunction with these other things in the right area so that, i guess is that part of that also kind of figuring out which areas this would be most effective and which areas maybe it, be, it would be less effective. Yeah, and that's absolutely uh, why we wanted to get involved with the, the sort of epidemiology side of, of things early on because this kind of uh, integrated approach is, 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 it can be really very potent. And I mean, one of the major issues with, with tropical malaria transmission is it's year-round and it's very difficult to interrupt. Um, and, and so you really need this kind of integrated approach. And there's all sorts of sort of slight complexities where, you know, if we're using antimalarial compounds on the net, we could also combine that with human treatments that are antagonistic to any resistance that might develop there. And so you have this kind of almost holistic and um, approach where you're targeting the, par the parasite in humans as a reactive treatment and then preventing the parasite tra parasite transmission in mosquitoes as a kind of proactive treatment using different targeting, different compounds, different targets um, that are complementary in some way and so kind of um, amplifying our current efforts. And most of the things we have at the moment work very, very well. It's just that they are, we only have one or two d interventions at the moment and they're at risk of resistance. So the more tools we can bring to bear, the better. Um, you really have to throw the kitchen sink at, the, at malaria to get it to go away, unfortunately. So. <laughs> and so, so talking about that, I mean, kitchen sink, I mean, what else are, are you and Flaminia and your lab working on? I mean, are there other kind of approaches that you're examining in terms of that area of targeting the, you know, the parasite itself? So we have, yeah, I mean, that's, we, we are, a, so we're a mosquito lab and we, 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 we do have the ability to do infections. So a lot of our research sort of runs around that kind of axis. And so some of the other things that we're doing in lab, we're working on um, Wolbachia, which is a, a mosquito endosymbiont. It's a bacterium that lives in, 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 uh, in the mosquito that um, we've actually, some of my colleagues, Rob Shaw and Perrine Marcinac, uh, recently showed a couple of years ago that, that the infection of, of Wolbachia in, in, in Anopheles Gambia, the principal vector of, of malaria in Africa, um, prevents or reduces malaria within those individual mosquitoes. And it's present in wild populations at a low level. And so those individuals are rarely infected with malaria. And we're working on ways at the moment with some, some other colleagues in my lab, to, in Flaminia's lab, to... Um, to try and um, um, one work out what the, 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 the how that works and, and whether we can imp increase the amount of Wolbachia in, in, in those populations and try and make mosquitoes more refractory to malaria transmission. Um, and then another thing that, um, that uh, another colleague of mine, Andy Smidler, is working on is is, uh, is a gene drive approach, which is this kind of transgenic or genetically modified mosquito that's either um, carrying a sterilizing cassette, which will suppress malaria uh, mosquito po populations, or or carrying some kind of transgene that prevents them um, transmitting malaria in some way. 
So there's a couple of um, sort of multimodal uh, approaches there, and, and obviously my work is only a small part of what we do in the lab. So, uh, and there's a lot of different and potentially complementary approaches that are coming through the pipeline at the moment that are kind of trying to move away from insecticides because they're so difficult. It's difficult to find new ones, and they have this potential environmental and like human toxicity issues as well. So. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned that because my my thought as you were describing some of the other work was it seems like a lot of this work kind of is based on like understanding the biology of the mosquito and then either finding a vulnerability so you're, you're not as relying as much on insecticides. So is that kind of, would you say it's accurate that like a lot of your lab kind of works on targeting the biology of the mosquito and using I mean, that against it? I mean, we've, we, we've always kind of, uh, we, we really, Flaminia really started off as a, as a kind of very much investigating basic biology and a lot of our more applied research is just coming from our basic research, which is really, um, it, it, it gives us some advantages and it means we kind of throw off some, some fairly interesting ideas fairly regularly. So um, there's always a lot of work to do, but um, really, yeah, one, one thing that I think has been clear for a long time within our field is that the more tools we have, the better. I mean, they're not all going to be useful all of the time. And obviously, it's very expensive to get these things ready for the field. But the more potential ideas we have coming through, the better that is for everybody. And that's, I think, something we're really focused on is, is, is as you say, that kind of basic biology of the mosquito and, 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 f and really trying to describe how they function and then finding ways of, of novel ways of interdicting malaria transmission from that. And then also, that has potential um, effects. We can potentially translate some of this to, to other mosquito-borne diseases like dengue or Zika as well. And so this is really kind of a almost a crucible of, 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 um, of, of new data that then will hopefully potentially inform kind of disease control in, in a lot of different spheres. So it's really exciting work. And so just to kind of end back at the beginning, what are some of your next steps here? Is, is one of the next steps really, okay, let's see if we can find other compounds that work similarly to Atovaquone, or would the next step be kind of doing more of like this prototyping, putting it on a bed nymph? So, so where do you and Flaminia head next? <laughs> Probably all of those directions. <laughs> Honestly, this is a lot. So um, things are really expanding. We're, we're, we're trying to bring in funding so we can really build this up. And, and the th sort of three major goals we have, one is Atovaquone works so well. I mean, I'm still trying to describe, I haven't really reached the limits of it. This is my major, what I'm doing right now is trying to find out where it stops working. Um, so we tried to do the initially results that we published recently were all exposure around blood feeding. So the point of infection and one of the things I'm trying now, because the length of time the parasite spends in the mosquito is so long, there's this opportunity for not only preventing infection, but actually removing infection from mosquitoes. And that would make the whole approach a lot more potent in terms of just in terms of the probability of whether a mosquito is infected before or after it comes into contact with the intervention. Um, and so some of the work I'm doing at the moment is trying to find out what happens when you expose mosquitoes that are already infected to uh, a tovoquone. And that took a lot of time to get sorted out just simply because it's a lot more dangerous because we're working with infected mosquitoes. So we have to be very careful. And it took a while to get the protocol sorted out for that. So that's my main focus at the moment. But uh, over the next six months, we're going to be doing a lot more screening. We, we have some partnerships with some with an NGO called the Malaria, uh, Medicines for Malaria Venture, um, who will be su supplying us with a, a library of compounds that we could be able to, anti-malarial drugs um, that we're going to test in, in our current setup and see if we can find more compounds and particularly more modes of action that work. Um, and then we do partner with uh, regularly with with some colleagues of ours in, in Burkina Faso. So we have a, a really strong collaboration with some some field based um, 
colleagues out there and and I think um, within the next year or two we're hoping to do some very limited field trials another the other thing is that we're, we're in the lab we tend to work with insecticide susceptible mosquitoes and one of the things we can do in Africa if we go to Burkina for example is work with the actual mosquitoes that we're we want to target initially and so so I've done a little bit of work there um, and what's exciting as a tobacco one appears to continue working against very very insecticide resistant mosquitoes and that's something that we need to continue and like think about how resistance affects the kind of pharmacokinetics of the compound within the mosquito. So there's a, there's a lot of, of, of kind of very descriptive work to do as well as more sort of discovery as well. So it's, um, and at the moment it's just me. So I'm most of the, the primary focus is to, to pull in a few more staff members and, and, and build a team and, and really start working on it. Cause this thing has really kind of blossomed into a whole, um, a, a very large research project. So, uh, and I can't do all of it. So. <laughs> Hopefully you'll build that team out. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Thanks to Doug Payton for taking the time to talk about his malaria research. Payton and Flaminia Cataruccia are the subject of a fascinating new article in the latest edition of Harvard Public Health magazine. We highly recommend checking it out to learn more about their work to combat malaria. You can find it by visiting hsph.harvard.edu slash magazine. We'll also have a link on our site, hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth. And that's all for this week's episode. I know we say this a lot, but if you're a fan of the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you can take a few moments to rate and review us wherever you listen. That will help more people discover us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.